This morning, uh, we have a missionary with us, and a lot of times when you say missionary, you know what my son said? Dad, does he speak Spanish? We have in our mind a picture of what a missionary is and, and what a missionary does, and, and we know that missionaries come in all shapes and sizes. I would mention a missionary who comes to our church, Tanner and Courtney Sherlock, um, they're at their retreat with their students this week. Uh, so please, well, this weekend, I guess they're probably getting ready to come home, but keep them in your prayers. They go up to Black Hills with students at, at the university and, and spend some time with them. So uh, remember them. But like I said, all different shapes and sizes of our missionaries. Uh, Jason Giesman is with us. I don't know if I said that right. I never get it right, but it's close enough, I guess, uh, is with us this morning. He's a missionary uh, to a group that I think we all probably can connect with, but we may not have realized it. So I'm just going to turn it over to you and ask for you to share your heart with us this morning. Thank you, Pastor Steve. Man, you know he has at least a few kids because when he prays, he prays like Dr. Seuss. Anybody else notice that? When you're mad, when you're bad, when you're sad, when you're glad. I love it. I love it. That was awesome. Uh, and great job this morning. She gets up. She's like, no, guys, I'm the backup. Our normal team's not here. Please sing along. So I'm, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, no. Because as a missionary, you get all sorts of worship services. All right. What in the world was that? That was awesome. That was incredible. You be humble, I don't have to be humble for you, okay? Good, we're laughing this morning, that's good, because we're not going to do that all morning long. I'm, I'm sad I missed uh, Tanner. Tanner and I are actually in a fantasy football league together. I beat him all the time. We didn't even know each other when we were in this fantasy football league, and we were at, at district council a couple years ago, and he's like, yeah, I'm Tanner, and I'm, oh, I'm Jason, and we're like, wait a minute, I don't know how we got connected in the same fantasy football league. It's a bunch of missionaries and pastors together, and we just have a great time. And, you know, we get to share about what we do a little bit and, you know, have fun outside of ministry with each other. So it's great. Uh, My name is Jason Giesman. None of that really had anything to do with what we're talking about today. But you handed me a mic and gave me time, so I'll share what I want to share. So, no. Um, Jason Giesman, I'm a U.S. missionary chaplain to foster care. Yeah, that's a long title. Yeah, we still aren't quite sure exactly what it means. Um, It's got lots of really cool words in it, like missionary and chaplain and foster care. Um, And so I'll kind of explain a little bit about what we do. My wife and I... um, started our organization, Hope Fostered, about four years ago. Um, My wife is actually in our home church today in Wichita, Kansas, sharing about Hope Fostered. And I got a text from one of my board members. She was awesome. And I'm like, yes, I knew she would be. And so, but I'm excited to be here with you guys in almost Wyoming and in almost South Dakota. Whew. So I was sharing in Sunday school this morning, as a missionary uh, to foster care, we work with three districts. We work with Kansas, which is our home district, and then we're missionaries to Nebraska and to northern Missouri. So last month, two different times, I was in St. Louis, and now I'm almost in the Pacific Ocean. It's crazy. And so that just kind of gives you an idea of our area. We go from basically the Oklahoma border to the South Dakota border, and we can really go anywhere, but that's where our focus is. That's quite the, the landmass and quite the, the car mileage and driving. Um, and so, and in fact, today on my way back, I'm hoping 
to stop in Holdridge, Nebraska, because they're having a light for the lost banquet. And I forgot when I was planning that, that I would be speaking in mountain time. So we're going to do this in about five minutes, and then I'm out. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Pastor did give me a time. I will be respectful of your time. Also, all shapes and sizes, obviously, I am a missionary who does look forward to lunch, and we're an hour behind. So, no. it's uh, great to be here with you guys, and I'm going to, I'm a, I was sharing with uh, Tara this morning, I'm a former children's pastor, so I want to share with you guys some stories today. Um, I love the kids. I love your, your pastor's kids. I got the privilege uh, one year at district council. I went to Scott Mersh, who leads the campground here, um, and uh, said, hey, what can I do to serve the district? He said, well, actually, um, he, he knew I was a children's pastor. He said, could you be with our kids one afternoon? And I don't remember any kids except for your pastor's kids. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Because I got to use my skills. I was sitting there, and I don't, I don't remember their names, so you'll have to bear with me. But, but I don't know if it was the youngest, but the next youngest was sitting there, and he had a bunch of energy. You know who I'm talking about, right? And he's sitting there, and he's just hitting his brother. Like, not being mean, not being cruel, just hitting his brother. And his brother is used to it. He's, you know. And I'm like, okay, i gotta got to make sure this doesn't get worse. And I'm like, hey, okay, we can't, I know you got a lot of energy. We're going to get some energy out. You can't be hitting your brother. We're going to stop. So he's like, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I go back up a couple minutes later. I'm like, okay, i got to try a different route. This is good. I was like, okay, I know you don't know me. Here's my name. Here's what I want you to do. You obviously have energy. You need to get out. Anytime you feel like you need to hit something, you just put your hand up. I will come, and I will give you a high five. You got it? Cool. He's like, I was like, let's try it. So he's like, he's like okay. All right, you need a high five? He's like, like, no, 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 no. We've got to really do this. If we're going to do this, we've got to do it right, right? I'm like, let's try it again. Give me your best shot. And, man, he wails. I said, are you good now? He's like, yeah, I'm good. I was like, remember, you need me again. Give, give me a high five. He's like, okay, okay. So I'm up, and we're, we're teaching a little bit from the Bible because, you know, we might as well do that while we're doing children's ministry, right? And uh, and I see him, and he's he's like shaking a little bit because he's trying really hard and I, I go and i just walk up while i'm in the middle of my lesson just go like that he wells we go back and then we go into the gym later and he comes by and this is why i like this story he comes by and says thank you so much for letting me give you high fives it's so helpful i went anytime do you need one now uh-huh there we go I knew what to do, not because I was a children's pastor, not because I'm a dad of five, uh, not because of any of those things, but because we've worked with, with kids who have different ways that they function, right? That they have different ways that their energy builds up. They have different ways that their brain works. And in fact, we're, we're finding out it's not just our kids. My wife, has, we've recently found out it is ADHD, which explains so much. And so now we're learning how, how she works and how that functions. We've been married for 20 years this December, and I'm finally starting to get to understand her a little bit, right? And so this, what we do is, yeah, we focus it on foster kids, but we're finding it works with everybody because we've all been through some stuff, right? 
We've all been through some things, and we're going to talk about some extreme cases that, that some of these kids have been through this morning. But know that when we put into real life, real practical things that God has given us both scripturally and through research of how he has created us, when we do real stuff to help real people through real issues, God brings healing. Part of that healing is he allows us to be who we are and how he created us to be. So this morning I want to tell you about a young lady named Sally. And and, um, Sally was actually uh, raised in a church a lot like this one. Um, She uh, went every Sunday morning. Every Wednesday night, she was, uh, maybe you've heard of it, a missionette. Um, her, her mom helped lead missionettes. Her dad helped lead rangers on Wednesday nights. They even, Pastor, get this, went to church Sunday night. Think about it. She was a church kid. She knew who God was. She knew who Jesus was. She knew where her hope lied. She, her life was built on a solid foundation. At the age of 12, her entire life came crashing down around her as her dad, the one who had taught her who God the Father is. Her father left her and her mother for another woman. It's like, uh, again, I'm a former children's pastor, so I like object lessons. I didn't bring the object because I can't actually do this because your pastor would get mad at me because it would just make a huge mess of glass, right? So it's like her life was a vase sitting on this table. Is beautiful, and you can invest into it, pour into it, and it will hold things, and it's got beautiful flowers blooming out of it. And in that moment, that one moment of somebody else's choices, somebody else's decision, somebody else's sin, her vase got thrown to the floor. And in that moment, it crashes and it shatters. And no matter what she did or the people around her did to try and help put it back together, she could not get her life, her, her vase, back together in one piece. And even if we could get it close, you still could not pour things into it because it would just leak all over and possibly shatter again. And that was her life. Not by any choice of her own, not by any decision she had made. She grew up turning to things of this world to try and and fix her life. Drugs, alcohol, men, you know what the story. And, and, And she always knew there was something missing. And by the time she was 18, she had a son of her own. And and I just want you to hear this. If you don't know anything else about Sally, I want you to know this thing. Sally loves her son. And Sally did her best to give him everything she once knew. But you can't give what you don't have. Pastor, I'd love to tell you that uh, Hope Foster believes in your ministry, and we do. um, And we want to show that by by giving you a million dollars to do whatever you guys need to do in this community. But Pastor, you can't give what you don't have. And this is the time where pastors love me because I say, if you have a million dollars, pastor and I will meet you at the back doors. Um, It's a joke. I'm not trying to get all your money, just some of it. It's a joke. Come on, guys. Remember, if, if you don't laugh, I have to wait for you to laugh. And so at least a pity laugh and we'll move on. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, 
So this was Sally's life. And so Sally would do what a lot of people do, is, and I call it hit the reset button. Her life would go crazy where she was at, so she would move, expecting different location, different things. And what happens is it's just different locations, same problems, same stuff. So she finally decided to change things up a little bit more. And on the way to her next new place, new town, new job, new life, she dropped her son off at her dad and now stepmom's house. It was a couple months later, Sally got a phone call from the hospital in her dad's county. Sally, come quick. Your son is hurt. When she arrived at the hospital, she was met by the hospital social worker. The social worker pulled Sally into a side room and said, Sally, um, your son is hurt. He broke his arm. And right away, the doctors knew it was done in a way that, that was abusive. Sally, in further evaluation of your son, they noticed burn marks on the back of his neck where Sally's stepmom had punished her four-year-old grandson with a hot curling iron multiple times. The social worker then explains to Sally, we cannot send your home, your son back home with his grandparents. Sally, we also know we can't send him home with you. And in that moment, she heard the words no parent wants to hear. I'm sorry. We have to put your son into foster care. That moment, the shame that Sally had lived in for so long became so overwhelming as she realized that she had handed her son's vase, her son's life, over to the very people that had destroyed hers. I want to share with you a little bit of scripture this morning because, again, we're at church. Why not? Um, and, and I want to read this scripture, and I want, to, I want to read it through a slightly different lens. I'm not meaning to take scripture out of context or teach you anything wrong. But how many of you guys know when you go outside and you put your sunglasses on, you see the same stuff. It just looks a little different. So that's what I want to do. I want us to look at this scripture through a slightly different lens. Psalm 40 is where we'll be at today. And, and Psalm 40 is a great scripture, and, and we love it because it reminds us of, of where we've come from and where we're at. And it's a great victory scripture for most of us. So verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Hallelujah. It's great to be on a firm rock, a firm place to stand, to be lifted up out of the things of this world, out of the muck and the mire. But as we look at this, I want to look at it through the lens of a, an abused or neglected child. Think of a child who has been hurt, who has been broken, and what they are saying in this. God, I know there's a hope out there some way that this is not the way life's supposed to be, and that there might be another possibility in my life, another chance for my life, but where I am now is the slimy pit, the mud, the mire. 
In verse 14, it goes on to say, May all who take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. That is where they live. May those who say to me, Aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, The Lord is great. A little bit of hope. Verse 17. But as for me, I am poor and I am needy. Dear Lord, think of me. You are my help and deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. These kids and these families live in darkness and brokenness with little to no hope, but somewhere deep inside, these kids know this is not what I'm for. This is not what my life is about. There's got to be something greater than this. In John chapter 4, we see the story of another young lady. And I'm not going to read it to you. I'm going to tell you the story again. Former children's pastor. But I want you to know where it is. John chapter 4. We, we come to uh, Jacob's well. And um, we, we come to this place. And Jesus is sitting at Jacob's well. And the Samaritan woman comes to Jacob's well. And before we get into the story, I want to share a little bit of the context. Jacob's well was dug by... you a little louder. Jacob, good job, good job. Remember, again, I'm going to say it again, former children's pastor. When I ask a question, please answer. That's how I know you're awake, right? No, that's how I know you're paying attention. So, so Jacob's well was dug by Jacob. It was actually dug by Jacob and his two sons. Um, and having two 13-year-old boys, I can imagine the difficulty in digging a well with your two sons. It would not have happened at my house. We'll just put it that way. All right? So these two boys, these two sons and him are digging this well. And they're digging a well in a place that makes absolutely zero sense to dig a well. In fact, in, in the Old Testament, when we see the story of this well being dug, um, the people in the area, the, the local area, which is not very local, there's very few people there, they will walk by just to mock Jacob and his sons. Because there's no reason on God's green earth, because it wasn't green where they were at, that they should be digging a well here. In fact, they would say, you can't even see an oasis. There's no water here. What is wrong with you guys? And Jacob just politely says, God said to dig, so we dig. A hundred feet later, now I've tried digging a hole a few times in my life. Maybe three feet. That's my max. A hundred feet later, water comes up. And not just a little water. You can literally go to Jacob's well today and get water from the well. Because Jacob and his sons obeyed what God told them to do. That will preach on its own. Sometimes in foster fairs, you just got to obey the first step. We'll move on. So here we are in Jesus' day, and Jesus is sitting at Jacob's well. And in this, in Jesus' time, here's how Jacob's well looked from day to day. In the morning, the Israelites of the area would come as a community. They would come and they'd get their water. They'd go back home and they'd go about their day. 
In the late afternoon, early evening, the Samaritans of the area would come to Jacob's well. They'd get their water and they'd go back about their day. The two groups did not come at the same time. And in case you're thinking like I did, well, that makes logistical sense. That's a lot of people at one well at one time. That is not why they did it. They did it because the Israelites and the Samaritans hated each other. In fact, by religious law at the time, Israelites knew that if they saw a Samaritan coming down the street, they had to cross the street and go down the other side. They couldn't even walk by each other. They couldn't say hello. They couldn't have any sort of conversation, relationship, business dealings, nothing. And these are the two groups of people that use Jacob's well. It's great to know all that, but here's why you need to know that. Because our story does not take place in the morning, and it does not take place in the late afternoon or the evening. It takes place at noon. Some versions say the sixth hour of the day. Well, guess what? That's noon. At noon, Jesus is sitting at the well all by himself. And this Samaritan woman comes to the well. And here's how I see it playing out. She's dragging behind her this clay jar in the sand. Her eyes down on the ground. Her shoulders slumped. She goes to the well not even looking around, seeing who's all there. Nobody should be there because this is not the time you come to Jacob's well. In fact, I used to skip the detail of when this woman showed up at the well, mainly because I didn't know what it meant. And I am not going to stand up here and claim to be an Israeli scholar, but I've talked to those who do claim that. And they will tell you that to this day, the noon hour at Jacob's well is considered the hour of shame. So as this woman comes to the well, the Samaritan woman who is outcast from the Israelites is also outcast from the Samaritans because of something in her life that either she has done or has been done to her. And she comes to the well and she pulls the water up and as the water is coming to the top, she hears the voice of a man. Would you give me some water, please? Now, right away, this, this woman is thinking, that, that's a man, he can't talk to me, I'm alone. And as she looks up, she probably realizes it's an Israeli rabbi teacher. So we're talking three strikes here. This conversation should never get started. And she looks at him and she says something that's, that's very interesting to me. She looks at him and says, don't you know who you are? First of all, I think that's kind of funny. Like, she, who's she talking to? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the omniscient, all-knowing one. And she says, don't you know who you are? I find it even more interesting, though, that she doesn't try to explain to him who she is. And as best as I can figure, it's because she knows exactly who she is. And she knows exactly what worth and value she has. And that's little to none. But Jesus looks back at her in all his love and his grace and his compassion and says, Oh, sweetie. Remember, I'm telling the story. That's not in Scripture right there. This is my version. Oh, sweetie, if you only knew. 
And and we know, and I'm sure you know because Pastor Steve's a great pastor, that, that goes on to talk about spiritual water and how when we have Jesus in our lives, we'll never thirst again spiritually. But I find it so interesting that their first contact, their first part of their conversation, even relationship that he has with this woman who's, who's not only a Samaritan but is coming at the well in shame is over the most basic of all needs. And they go on, and in John chapter 4, it's like two paragraphs, this story. And so I think a lot of times we're like, well, it should be done in two paragraphs worth of conversation where we can lead someone to Jesus. Well, that's Jesus doing it, and he knew exactly what to say. I don't know about you, but most of the time I'm trying to talk to someone about Jesus, I have no idea where to start. Uh, Jesus loves you. This I know. Can, can we be real? But where does Jesus start? Basic needs. And through this conversation, they talk about things of this world, religion, politics, all the things you're not supposed to talk about with people. And never do they get in an argument or a fight or a debate. They, he just loves her. And finally, he says to her, you know what? Let's make this at least somewhat culturally appropriate. Go get your husband. And in that moment, the shame pours back over her. I see her eyes dropping back to the ground, her shoulders slumping again. And eventually she mutters out, I don't don't have a husband. And Jesus, never wavering in his love, in his mercy, in his grace, or his compassion towards this woman, looks right into her eyes and says, No, you've had five husbands. And the man you're with right now is not your husband. And the shame releases from her. Because all this time she realizes he knew exactly my worth and my value. And yet he gave me so much worth and value. About four years ago, my wife and I started Hope Foster. Because uh, we believed that um, these kids were worth more than we were showing them. That, That God wanted his church to stand up and do something. For these kids and these families, uh, and I'll just share with you some of our uh, some of the big statistics before I bring it more local. Uh, in the state of Nebraska, there's just under four thousand kids in foster care right now. In the state of Kansas, where we're from, there's sixty-seven hundred kids in Nebraska. In Missouri, our other state, there's over twelve thousand kids in foster care. Pause for a train passing by. That was a train trained. How exciting. I'm talking to the little kid behind you, not you, sir. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, I'm, I'm staring right at him. I was like, oh, he... Uh, we, can, we can talk later, yeah. All about trains. That means there's over 20,000 kids just in the three states that we touch. 
kids who have lived through some of the things that you can't even imagine. Some of you can. Kids who've been told their value, their worth is almost nothing, if not worse. Kids whose families are trying to do the best they can and love them, but they were not taught proper love when they were kids. And many of them will tell you they're doing better than their parents did, and they're absolutely telling you the truth. But let's bring it a little closer to home here. Dawes County, Nebraska. That's right, I googled. In Dawes, Nebraska, there's currently 11 kids in out-of-home placement, meaning they have been removed from their primary caregiver's home and put somewhere else. 11 kids in foster care. Beyond that, the child poverty rate in your county, which is child poverty rate is the number one indicator for whether or not a child will be placed into foster care. Not because foster care is against poverty, but because of what poverty brings about. Currently in Dawes County, your child poverty rate is 19.2%. I want to pause here. One in five of your kids in your community are currently living in poverty. Don't know if they're going to eat at all this weekend. May not know where they're going to sleep tonight. And even if they figure that out, probably won't be on a bed. As a missionary, God has called me to foster care, but he has not called me to Dawes County, Crawford, Nebraska. But guess what? He's already called a great group of people to Crawford, Nebraska. And most of them are sitting in here right now. So my job is not to reach each of these kids and to help each of these kids. My job is to reach you and help you reach these kids. I mentioned in the science school class, pastor asked me a great question. What are the practical things you guys do? And, and you know what, for about four years, I did not have a good answer to that. And well, we kind of do this, and we kind of do this, and we can take you here, and we can take you there. But this year, God has given us finally that peace. I've always been a, hey, don't share a problem if you don't have a solution type person. And so one of the stories in foster care, maybe you've heard it before, is the story of the trash bag. Most of these kids, when they're removed, specifically since they're removed out of poverty, don't have a lot of stuff to their name. The stuff they have, you know, some clothes, maybe some toys. But when a caseworker goes and, and meets their primary caregiver and tells them, we're having to remove your child from your home, the primary caregiver doesn't have a suitcase for these kids. The caseworker being way overwhelmed overworked and underpaid, has no resources to give them. So most of the time, when they tell a child they are needing to pack their things, all they have to give them is a trash bag. Everyone knows what you put in here. 
So let me ask you, what value, what worth does this give a child? In the state of Kansas, which tends to be average in everything foster care, I know that because we like to lift that up as like this prime example of what foster care should be. I'm working on that. (laughs) The average number of times a child moves from home to home is 9.6 times while they're in care. That's 10 times they'll be handed a trash bag to put their stuff in. We also know that there are 20,000 kids every year nationally that age out of the system, meaning they get too old to be in foster care, but they have nowhere for them to go. So they're out there on their own trying to learn how to live life by themselves most of them with their stuff in a trash bag. It's no wonder that over 50% of them end up homeless. Over 50% of them end up trafficked. Over 50% of them end up on drugs or committing suicide. Or It's no wonder that most states use their current foster care numbers to determine how many beds they're going to need in prisons in 10 years. Because this is their worth, their value. Church, I believe God has asked us to give them more worth, to give them more value, to look at them with love and mercy and grace and compassion and say, hey, I know where we're meeting, but this is not who you are. God finally gave us a solution to this problem. So we've been working since April on a, pro, pro, a program called Huggage. In Huggage, we will provide, through our, our knowledge of trauma and how to work with kids and families of trauma, uh, a backpack, a nice backpack. We're not going for the cheap backpacks. We're going like $50 retail backpack. You know, the kind you get your kids, but nobody else, right? We're getting a nice quality backpack, and we're going to fill it with trauma tools now get this, this is pretty um, pretty high-end stuff. A plush blanket, a stuffed animal, a fidget toy. We're going to put in, my kids love this, fuzzy socks. All things that help calm our brain and bring comfort to us in a moment of high distress. We're also going to provide a toothbrush and toothpaste and some band-aids. We're going to give them some value and some worth, but we also want to replace the trash bags. So to the agencies, to the workers, we are giving, instead of trash bags, canvas laundry bags. What is the worth and the value in that? Most of us right now, we could go to Walmart and buy one of these and not really blink. But which one is more valuable? A strong bag that you'll be able to keep and put your stuff in, go with you wherever you go, plus the backpack full of stuff or the trash bag that's about 14 cents a bag. We believe God is asking us as the church to give value to these kids. Sorry, that was Tanner texting me about fantasy football. 
No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We believe God's asking us to be the solution, to bring the hope into the mud, into the mire, to be the ones who reach our hands down and say, we can help you up. And this is a good start. This is a good entry into foster care. This is a good place to say, you know what, church, we, maybe we can't all bring kids into our homes. In fact, most of you, I'm just going to tell you, you shouldn't bring kids into your home. Maybe some of you, God's calling you to do that, to say, we can do this. We can work with these kids. I'll tell you, it's not easy. We'll never tell you how easy it is. Have you seen the picture of my family? Can we, can we put the picture of my family up there? We have five kids, three adopted from foster care. I can tell you how not easy it is. Our little guy, Malachi, was born addicted to methamphetamines, at least. They don't know what all else might have been in mom's system. He was also born malnourished because anytime she needed something that, like food, she would just take drugs. We picked him up from the hospital in Kansas City at a week old. He was put on the chart, uh, well, he wasn't even on the chart, underweight, undersized. Within six months, he was off the chart the other way. We know how to feed people. No, because both of his parents were over six foot five. There's no reason he shouldn't have been on the chart. We spent the first week in the hospital after spending nine months of his mom not taking care of him. And yesterday, after his football game, I drove 10 hours. And tonight, when I head back that way, I'm not heading home. And later this week, I've got events in Nebraska and in northern Kansas, and I'm not going to be home until Friday. And I don't say that to be like, oh, look at us, how sad for us. This child has abandonment issues, and his dad travels for a living. It's not easy. He just started kindergarten. And there's two things they know about when kids, after they turn five or about five or six, who were born addicted to meth, is about five or six, they get very angry. The second thing is they're pretty sure it's because they start school around then. He spends all day, every day long, controlling his impulses as best he can. And when he comes home, he has none left. And he gets upset. And he's big. And he hits. And sometimes he bites. And I had a a text from my wife just last week when I was out of town for something. I've got a bruise on my face and less hair on my head. Because he was having a rough night. So we're not going to ever tell you how easy it is to bring these kids into your home or into your life or these families into your life because that would be a lie. But God is asking us to do something for them. God is telling us that we can't just let them live in the slimy pit, in the muck, in the mire, in the mud. You know what? They may never grab our hand to come out of that, but we're supposed to extend it We just sang a song. 
talking about building our life. And that is one of the, my favorite songs. As we were getting started, this song was getting popular, and it just built me up in what we were supposed to do. And I'm a big worship guy, but it was never about the worshiping God and praising God. and my like That's all great stuff, but it was a show me who you are and fill me with your heart. God's heart is for these kids. God's heart is for the broken and the needy, the poor and the destitute, those living in the muck and in the mire. And he is saying, church, I have you there for a reason. God is asking you guys to do something. Maybe it's to be a part of Huggage. Maybe it's to have some foster families in your church. Whether they come from this group or they come from without. God is asking you to reach out. Maybe it's to help feed kids on the weekend. Maybe it's to help your school system. They know who these kids are. Maybe it's to help them provide for a real need. My last job as a children's pastor, we did a big backpack outreach for our local school, and we thought it was great. Like We were like, hey, look at us. We're doing great, and a lot of them are great. And we delivered it, and my senior pastor looked at the social worker and said, is there anything else you need? And she shared with us that while the backpacks were great, she's like, I know you guys want to help our school, but most of those backpacks go to other schools. We could really just use some granola bars. That's it? What do we do all this work for? We can do that. In fact, we went home and I wrote an email, sent it to the church. On Friday, we took hundreds of granola bars to the school. And you know what they did when they ran out of granola bars? Hey, Pastor Jason, uh, could we get some more granola bars? Absolutely. And we met a real need. Because these kids, when they're living in poverty, they get to eat at school. And not very often anywhere else. So I don't know what that is for this church, but guess what? That's part of my job as a missionary to you guys is to help you figure out what that is. Just so you're aware, Tara and I have already had a couple conversations. Just saying. She seems like a go-getter. So we're going to go get them. Just want to wrap this up real quick. Sally's story. I'm sure you guys are all interested. We were able to connect Sally to a lady from a local church in her community and this lady invited Sally to church and to lunch afterwards and and Sally wasn't like too excited to go to church in fact she didn't want to at all but she needed to eat so she went to church they went to lunch afterwards and this lady was able to talk through Sally's case plan the plan that the state gives them to be able to get their kids back and from that this lady helped Sally to find a job to get an apartment to get a car the most basic of needs as parents in today's world beyond that as Sally had to go through a lot of harder things like rehabilitation and therapy and parenting classes this woman was the shoulder that Sally cried on it went from basic needs to relationship and when Sally was ready This woman is the woman who got to lead her to Jesus. From needs to relationship to family. And that's the story of foster care. Helping people get their most basic needs met 
building relationships with them, and then becoming family. It's a constant battle we are doing with our kids. Not just meeting their basic needs. We have three teenagers and a five-year-old who eats like a teenager. Not even joking. But we're also working to build better relationships because the relationships they grew up with are not strong, are not healthy. And they don't like it when we show them healthy relationships because it's uncomfortable, it's unfamiliar. And we're hoping, I've literally said these words to my 13-year-old adopted son more than, than once, we always choose to love you. Our hope is that one day you will choose to love us back. And that is foster care. That is adoption. Giving when you're not receiving a single thing to a child who doesn't want it and who is ungrateful for it. Not because they hate you, but because of what they've been through. Psalm 40, verse 11 through 13. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Feel the desperation. Backed up with just a little bit of hope. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. And I would say that God's answer to that prayer for these kids is sitting in this room. Lord, send someone to help me. Well, guess who's in Crawford, Nebraska? You are. I realized as God was calling us to missions in this area that we were going to be very limited. 20,000 kids in our area that we cover. There's no possible way I can reach out to them, let alone all the other thousands of kids living in poverty in those three states. And I only said yes when God revealed something to me that he wasn't calling me to this. He was calling us to this, the church. Because by ourselves, we are so limited. There's only so much we can do. But together, as the church of God, as the body of Christ, we get to bring hope to the system. We've got some stuff on our table. Your kids are already enjoying the candy. Uh, we've got other stuff. They can come back for more. Everything on there is a tool that we use either to promote what we're doing or in our everyday work with kids. So come by, ask us about it. Ask us about Huggage. Ask us about anything. We want to meet with you. We want to connect with you. Thank you. God bless. Thank you, Pastor. Don't, don't run back there yet. Um, I want to take a moment. We're going to pray over Jason. Uh, we're going to pray over the calling God has called him to. Uh, but as I pray for Jason, I'm going to pray for us, that God speaks to us what, he's, what he needs for us to do. So, Jason, if you can come up front, church, if you can come lay hands, uh, just stand up here where people can get around you.
Father, we thank you so much uh, that you're a God who opens our eyes uh, for Jason and the ability to hear your voice in a, in a mission field that needs hope, in a mission field that needs the love of God. For him, God, today I pray every need be met according to the glorious riches that you're found in Christ Jesus. I pray for his family. I pray that they choose love. I pray that they choose hope that they have in you, God. I ask that uh, as he ministers, Lord, that you continue to give him practical and, and ideas and, and how to accomplish, God, a, a ministry that, that, that is incredible. For our church, Lord, and for other churches in Nebraska and Kansas and northern Missouri, northern Missouri God, I pray that uh, you would stir in us what we can do. Uh, help us to listen to your voice. Help us to hear what you have for us, Lord, and how we can uh, fulfill James 127. True religion is to take care of widows and orphans. God, we want to be examples of true religion. And, Lord, we ask that you would guide us and direct us. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity. Lord, we thank you for um, lives that are changed and hearts that are transformed as we're obedient to you. Uh, we look forward to seeing all you can do in Jesus' name. Amen.